I am Andrew Ron. I'm an accredited rural appraiser, and I am president of the Montana chapter of the ASFMRA and communications director for the Montana Farm and Ranch Brokers Association, the two top industry organizations in the state. I am also the proud creator of Montana LandSource, the industry standard for access to rural land listings and sales, and land market information and insights. There is no other more comprehensive resource for insider Montana land information than Montana LandSource. Go to www.mtlandsource.com. I am part of the Ranch Investor Podcast because I want to be part of the conversation with other top land experts on the future of the land market, land investment, land ownership, and management. I'm Coulter DeVries, owner of Ranch Investor Advisory and Brokerage Services. I'm an accredited land consultant with the Realtor Land Institute and proud member of ASFMRA. As a former commercial and ag banker, my main reason for doing this podcast is to simply gauge the market's appetite for crowdsourcing investment in a ranch real estate fund. This fund would allow you to hunt, fish, ride, camp, and recreate how you want while also enjoying the financial and portfolio benefits of investing in a large western ranch. For rural land enthusiasts who want to deepen their knowledge of the ranch real estate market, grow their portfolio, and be viewed as a trusted advisor, the Ranch Investor Podcast is the most downloaded and informative industry-specific content that intrigues while entertains. Curated by subject matter experts to give you immense benefit, because we believe your time is valuable. This is it. Season three. We're kicking it off with Dan Leahy. Dan, thank you for coming all the way from Oregon today. You're welcome. What what about this podcast and your message is so important that you drove through a snowstorm? (laughs) How many hours to get here? Oh, it's about uh, 13 hours drive time, but uh, didn't start snowing until last night. So what was the motivation? Why come all the way to Billings, Montana for an in-studio podcast? From uh, what part of Oregon? Uh, Bend, currently. And that's a whole nother conversation. Okay. Well, what is your why? Why are we here today? Well, uh, you know, I've been watching your show for quite a while. And um, I thought you had something of value and led to conversations that we've had. Um, I learned the most on the valuation side of things from from your conversations. and then also very interested in the guests that you've had on the issues of management as well. So Professional ranch management? Correct, yeah. Is that what you do? It is. Give me so. your background. What a, tell, me, tell me why I asked you to be on. What are your credentials? <laughs> well, um, so uh, long story short, uh, I started in uh, construction industry. My first career was in home building. And um, long about 2005, uh, decided to make a transition, which was, you know, fortuitous on my part. But I think a lot of us knew back then that the fundamentals uh, were not right, you know, in the home building industry, in the finance industry. Didn't mean we knew what what was happening necessarily, but uh, we knew that that, um, it wasn't sustainable. And so I saw it as an opportunity to um, uh, leave it at the top of my career and uh, which I'm glad I did. So that gave me the opportunity to go back to my roots. Uh, was born in the Forest Service, raised in the Forest Service. Thought I was going to be a ranger. Hmm. And uh, on about 1979, 1980, my father came to me and, 
he was a supervisor in the Boise district at the time. He said, Danny, he says, the Forest Service isn't for you. It's not for somebody I care about. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't remember the conversation vividly, <laughs> but I do remember my dad rarely gave me advice, so it was very impactful. And, and he, he explained to me that things were changing rapidly. And uh, he retired early. So that, that set me free. Went to school and got a science degree and a business degree and ended up in home building. But by 2005, I had the opportunity to, to say to do what I'd always wanted to do, what I do naturally. You know, they say that you know the most about what you're most interested in, and ranching had never left my blood. So it was a very natural step for me, and um, I started with just a couple of referrals from people I know, landowners. Uh, worked a, a large uh, mineral position in Nevada for a couple of years, and that just took off. Producing those all kinds of land and resource resource projects. Was that a pretty uncertain career path at that point? I mean, was land management, ranch management, you know, was there some some security there, or was that just stepping out into the great unknown in comparison to something like the Forest Service or home building? There was no fear for me because I was finally following my passion. Hmm. I built somebody else's business up and succeeded at that. Now it was time for me just to do what I wanted to do. I'm interested to hear what your dad saw going on in the Forest Service that caused him concern, why he would recommend considering a different path. What, sure. he, was, he must have been a veteran and he, he didn't, apparently didn't like the changes he was seeing. What, do you know what those changes were? Yes, and a lot of them I have learned since then you know, in my own study, um, and a lot of people who were in the service at that time have since spoken about it. Um, uh, I believe it's the uh, U.S. Forest Service Foundation, if I'm not mistaken, uh, published a video documentary about the history of the Forest Service a few years ago, and it does a good job of tracking what, ha what happened over the life of the Forest Service. But in the, in the 70s, um, the term that people on the inside used was they went to the dark side. And um, some of that change was good because they certainly had become incalcitrated, you know, uh, for the most, for a, in a lot of ways. But uh, some of the chain was, change was just simply change for the sake of change. And we had a rise of the professional scientists coming in and creating models and such. Uh, that completely challenged and changed all of the management um, systems that were in place. So and normally when a scientist introduces a model, it's the gold standard and doesn't leave room for uh, being dynamic, or being uh, compromising. They, they like to enforce it with their own, you have to be a purist to this. Is that, mm -hmm. there was some scientific bureaucracy there? I think all the agencies, we've seen the same trend. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I would say uh, you see that with, you guys are more exposed to BLM bureaucracy in Eastern Oregon um, because you have so much of it out there. But they they use that old model for grazing. Um, grazing is a function of of the number of animals, not time. Is that right? Well, they all have their formula, and um, and then yet it's being challenged. Uh, the problem is it, it's like sw swimming in peanut butter because of the bu bureaucracy. 
Um, let me back up just a step. I don't want to get too far afield in, in criticisms here. Um, to succeed in dealing on public, with public lands, you have to succeed with individuals. And there are a majority of field personnel working for agencies out there who are good people. They are our neighbors and they're doing the best they can. It's, I say the same thing with my trooper friends. I have fr friends on the, in the state police. And um, you can't characterize the individual by characterizing the agency. And, and so I just kind of wanted to say that. No, it's important. We hear people. a lot that it's re ranch, so much of ranching is relationship driven. Yeah. And you can't, you can't put your neighbors in a box, whether they are absentee owners, you can't put the BLM agents in a box or the Forest Service uh, managers. So that's, uh, I think that's important is that keeps coming up in here. Um, I wanted to also hear about, you talked about the fundamentals of the market, the housing market. You must have been building homes during the 2006 boom? Uh, yes, yes. So how does that relate to the <laughs> fundamentals of today's market? Well, uh, I, I think the key is uh, the word fundamentals. Look at the drivers. You know what matters and, and what doesn't. I mean, and uh, you know, the, in, in the home building market, uh, back during the boom, we had customers that had uh, joint income, combined income of say sixty or seventy thousand dollars, and they had three mortgages, and these were no doc loans. And I finally went to my you know sales department and I said, we this is not our bread and butter. We will not sell non-owner occupied homes because these people are speculating and sure enough what happened hmm. 2008 they walked away from those they, they lost everything yeah put the keys in the mailbox well they put a bankruptcy in their back pocket and then they walked away and so it's so unfortunate but you talk about a moral hazard i don't know that we've ever seen anything like that before moral hazard is a disincentive uh disincentivized system that uh, the the risk you're taking, you're taking on abnormal risk that you want to otherwise take on. Andy, do you do you see any moral hazard, abnormal risk in today's market? We hear frothy all the time, but I think frothy is associated with stocks, uh, business valuations. Um, do you see any fundamental concerns today, uh, February 2022? Yeah. Well, you know, of course, we're coming off of an 18-month market that we've never seen the likes of before. I don't know that there's, unlike the, you know, 2000 boom, that there's um, underlying, I mean, you know, none of, none of this is being done on financing, for one. You know, everything that's being bought is cash. Um, gosh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But... Uh, I think I think the value is actually there in the in the long run with our land market. So um, we're going to see rises and falls, but you know I don't think we're going to see anything like we did in housing in the in the 2000s. Yeah, and housing was, um, in my opinion, was uh, demand side economics. It was driven by you said unqualified buyers, free money, free money, high speculation. Today, I think we have a large supply side driven economics in the ranch market. Maybe what's going on in Oregon with the ranch market? Probably no different than here. It's very similar. Yeah, uh, it's very similar. A um, couple things. Uh, I have a good friend who's a broker in Oregon, and he's one of the largest grossing. And last year was one of the large, largest grossing brokers in the West. And um, 
The other thing is, I, I think that uh, the political climate, state by state, is, is a big driver. Um, but that doesn't, but what, what I see there is that even with the challenges politically in Oregon, uh, to uh, being a landowner, um, it hasn't slowed it down. So what does that tell you? The, uh, marginal pressures that might you know, keep one area from developing faster than another don't seem to be applying right now. That's what I see. One thing that's been pointed out, and I believe we've talked about this in prior podcast episodes, in the past, uh, high demand in Montana has been driven by people wanting to come to Montana, obviously uh, fleeing to Montana. This uh, I've called this last 18-month market, we've been a refugee market. Mm-hmm. And it's been pointed out that a lot of people coming to Montana are fleeing from some other place and they're coming to Montana. And one of the thoughts on that is that perhaps it's not the deepest motivation and maybe within four or five years, there'll be kind of a, uh, another movement, which is uh, people do wash out, you know, the weather or, you know, it's not quite what they expected. So there's some speculation that there might be, um, you know, kind of a secondary market in that way, which I think is probable, but I don't think it's gonna be massive or, you know, defining, I think. And we've always had that, we've always yeah. had, you know, a strong demand here, and there is a certain washout percentage. You know, a bunch of people come, half of them maybe, you know, or less leave within a couple of years, but there's always more right behind them. Mm-hmm. But, and that's, uh, <clears throat> that continues to be demand side economics, uh, political uh, refugees, yeah. investment minded individuals. Demand side is always, I shouldn't say use, use definites, but demand side is more elastic. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that can be more volatile. I think we're going to continue to see uh, high prices, values, because of the supply side. We just have very few listings out there. Yeah, it's the lowest uh, supply we've seen in decades. And there's right so now. many different motivations for buying a ranch. Mm-hmm. And Bend, Oregon is no different than what you talked about, uh, political res- refugees. Bend saw a huge boom from the coastal areas. Um, Boise, Idaho saw a huge boom from the coastal areas. Uh, you guys are no different in Bend, but I think this is this is happening so fast and it's happened on a scale we've never seen before that uh, it's uncomfortable to mm-hmm. a lot of people. And whether that actually causes pain or not, uh, I'll leave that up to the individual to decide what their own pain is from, from this market and this rapid change. But I think, Dan, you might've came here because you wanted to talk about that change, the, the turnover, the attrition of landowners, this this uh, billion plus dollar market in each state, ranch, rural, real estate. Um, what are the implications of rapid change like that? What I think this is something you are passionate about and you wanted to uh, discuss further is this sure. turnover. Right. Well, I think we have to discuss it because we're right in the middle of it. If we ignore it, it's to our own peril, um, especially if we consider ourselves to be service providers. Um, my, cons- my driving concern, and um, this is really what allows me to work with a lo- all types of clients because um, there has to be uh, a thread that goes through all those relationships and it's more objective than subjective because you never know what people are going to bring, you know, with them in terms of their outlook. Um, but I like to say that if if myself and, and a client uh, can agree 
on the health of the land as a priority, the health of the land and keeping the land in production, then we can sit at the same fire anytime, regardless of our other differences. Because that issue is so overriding for me. And when I go to work, it's completely, it preoccupies me. It consumes all of my time and all of my attention. I don't really have time to, to worry about you know, many of the other motivations that might be coming with ranch purchase. So um, that's my motivation is productive, healthy land. And uh, like, again, there's only 24 hours in a day. So I don't really have to go much further than that. I'm fully occupied. But um, implementation that is, of that, though, is, a, is another question, right? Well, give me an example. Well, I've got a friend that uh, just took a job on a, a high-profile uh, ranch here in Montana, and the owners are very high-minded with regenerative processes mm -hmm. they want to do and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they've clear, they definitely have more money than sense, and the relationship isn't going to work out. The, the, the friend of mine that went to work for him uh, feels expendable, feels like you know they just kind of show up, and they're seagull managers. They, they mm -hmm. swoop in poop on everybody and, and fly mm -hmm. and fly off you know they're they've got the some on some level the right intentions but just don't um that you know it doesn't sound like they're sophisticated enough or understand what it takes to and, and are used to expendable people doing whatever they want and uh don't have realistic expectations so mm -hmm. rubber meeting the road is another another issue right okay so um the owner's mentality perspective is what you're referring to. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the manager's perspective and how the dynamic does or doesn't work because of both of their differences. Yeah, that they that those owners have more money than sense and some of their ideas of how things should happen and when the, when it should happen and all this kind of stuff just doesn't isn't realistic. I see. And she's not being treated like a like a valued uh, employee in person and team team member, so it's just not a good fit, and so it's not going to work out. And she questions whether these people are ever going to ever going to find a good fit because they just don't sure. seem to. And I think we've talked about this before, kind of a wealthy, maybe particularly East Coast thing, where sometimes these people of that kind of wealth have a lot of access to labor, and if people can come and go, you know, sort of on a daily basis, mm -hmm. uh, but land management and in the west it's a different deal you know you just there's just not somebody down the road to pick up nope. to replace who you lost you and it's i think of it as much as a marriage as as marriages like i mean finding the right match and finding Certainly the right a partnership yeah finding yeah. the right partnership is not an automatic not an easy thing to do and if you're a you know the ranch management scene is very interesting to me because i see the need as extremely high and I'm interested, my opening question to you was sort of like what the opportunity landscape is like, because it seems like there's a huge need for it, yet it's kind of a matchmaking deal. It's like people finding uh, partners in life. It's, uh, it can be tough. Right. Sounds like there's a huge need for competent landowners. <laughs> you need to start it. You had to jump to that, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't need a land management uh, foundation, you need a landowner uh, foundation. Yeah, I, I think that in my own personal experience and what I have shared with uh, what others have shared with me is you talk about this being a lot like a marriage. A marriage requires uh, a similar vision, actually a strong vision that's, that's shared by both partners. Uh, 
similar values, core values, and a mission, and strategic goals, and then how to get to those goals. And if this friend of yours is expendable, Mm -hmm. it sounds like he, the owner doesn't see him as imperative to getting to these goals, probably because the owner doesn't have goals. He doesn't have strategic goals. And Dan, you brought up, you know, the one thing I can get behind is, uh, is how we value the health of the land. The challenge is um, that that has to, in my experience, that almost has to be inherent to the landowner, mm-hmm. not developed. I absolutely loathe and hate trying to educate, and I don't want to sound pompous and academic, like it's my job to force my experience onto someone and that I'm, I'm all knowing and I'm more uh, insightful and educated than they are when it comes to land management. But just the amount of time and energy, human capital that goes into uh, educating a new landowner on the benefits of rotational grazing, right. rest rotations, high density, short duration grazing, it's not worth it to me. Those conversations, I'm so over them. Um, how do you manage that? that it's is called a retainer. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm not joking okay so it, it, it has to do perhaps with the way you work and the way I work right so I get to have those conversations after commitment to working together has been made now it takes time to develop that relationship but there is a certain level of commitment it's not just based upon the sale um, you know but you have a really good eye for that culture because <clears throat> for instance and I wanted to compliment you on this uh, twice in the last week, I've heard other people comment on the search ad that you wrote for uh, Ranch in Sublette County. I, I don't remember the ranch name. Um, but it was one that you posted on, on your LinkedIn uh, site. And from what I understand, you got a lot of traffic on it. Huge. Yeah. Right. But that's just two people that I happened to talk to who said it was one of the best written ads hmm. they've ever seen. What that says to me is that you have insight and in the components of success, right? And we don't want individuals taking a job that they're, that they're not gonna succeed at, right? right? We don't right. want mismatches. And so there isn't, uh, you can't spend too much time in the front end of the process. And actually, Dan, I think one of your referrals got hired for that position. Well, then I'll expect a commission. <laughs> <laughs> I already told that seller that I was working for free out of goodwill. Of course. Uh, so that I can sell their $80 million Jackson Hole Ranch in the future. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, one of your referrals, you, you have a great network of competent, educated. One of the guys had a master's degree. I mean, just incredible wealth of knowledge and talent, but but the, having an owner who actually values that wealth of knowledge and that talent and experience or that paradigm about healthy land management, if there's, in me going forward, if there's not already a foot forward with the landowner who wants to be better about ecosystem services, in managing a holistic, healthy landscape, community, people, profits. I mean, it's just to me, Dan, it's not worth it to even work with that kind of person. Are you baiting me? He'll do that. I think Watch it. <laughs> you should have been an attorney. <laughs> Go ahead, finish your thoughts. That's it. 
that that's my position. I, I don't know why uh, why do you expend so much energy trying to uh, paint stripes on a horse and call it a zebra? Well, again, uh, <laughs> my my clients are self-selecting. Okay, so I try to make sure that we I don't get into an uh, engagement that where that that mutual regard for the issues is not present. So does, is that fair a fair answer to your question? No, I need more explanation. <laughs> right. I didn't. I didn't okay, well, let's oh, on cross examination. Let's talk, let's talk about uh, the word you used right out of the gate, and that was professional. Right. You've had other guests on. I very much enjoyed hearing their their uh, shows about on the issue of ranch management, professional ranch manager. So, what what is the difference? Um, why is it an issue? And so. We've got so many things converging right now in the industry, um, and one of them is the end of an era in ranch management. Um, what has been the case in ranch management for the last ever 70 years uh, or more simply is changing. You know, uh, not only is the land being gentrified, it, it's the profile of the individual who's answering your ad is changing and and uh you know i have five boys and they have no more chance at relating to the world as it was when i was in high school they, they, they are who they are and that's all they know so you have to look at what our seed stock is in the management profession and say okay what is their value to the landowner and the landowner is changing i cover this in my book as well you know I'm not happy about the fact that the generational ranch families are ceasing to exist. They will be with us forever, but in fewer numbers. Um, and they are going to have neighbors who are investor ranchers. And so the landscape is changing in that regard very fast. Um, a manager who, let's say he's in his early 40s, who was raised on a ranch, has a tremendous amount of experience. So they have training, and then they go away and they get whatever amount of education that they need to augment that, and then they find a place to apply themselves. But what about the individual who has no training, but they have a lot of knowledge? So in other words, they invested a lot in a degree, so they have education, and how do you match those two? How do you make value out of that soup of training and education. And probably one of the best people who's addressed this routinely is uh, Burke Tigert. Uh, Absolutely. Padlock Ranch? Well, um, no. Uh, I want to say Deseret, but um, I don't know that he worked at Padlock. But at any rate, I'll, his name of his company will come to me. But he, he has become a, a sage, a trainer, in, in this ranch management. Uh, he wrote for years for Beef Magazine, mm -hmm. does his, has his own circuit, does, is always willing to go to ranches and give seminars and so forth. But my point is, Burke is very pragmatic. He says, you give me the individual with the right frame of mind, I can make him a rancher, right? Um, another friend of mine, M.T. Anderson, I asked him uh, uh, years ago, I said, You've done really well for yourself in Eastern Oregon. This is a very challenging place to ranch. And he's not an owner. 
um, he, I said, how did you know that you would someday be a very successful producer under marginal conditions and still not regret it? And he says, well, when I was 22 years old, a uh, ranch owner looked at me and says, okay, you're the foreman. And he turned on his heel and he walked away. And I said to myself, well, I have a decision to make. I thought I was a cowboy. Hmm. So you see there are all these dynamics are at play all the time and all over the west, western states, all in private, very remote areas. And so honestly, the only way that I can stay in contact and have referrals for people like you is to stay on the road and stay in contact with these people. There's all, there's all kinds of good, uh, of good candidates out there. You just got to find them. It seems like the ranch management landscape, it seems like there's maybe more opportunity than there's ever been before because we have more outside ownership, like more need. Right. We have more owners who don't know, don't have experience, training, or education in this matter, but yet they own the asset. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but at the same time, the job has gotten more complex, more complicated. The land manager has to manage, you know, in the past, it used to just be run the cows or, you know, run the, run the ag operation, you know, like cattle foreman used to be a typical mm -hmm. position. And maybe that would kind of be it for a ranch, you know, but now there's all these other things in these, especially the, the high end, uh, large legacy ranches, you know, there's this large recreation component, managing recreational assets, aesthetic assets, hunting, fishing, habitat, you know, there's all kinds of uh, governmental things, whether it's regulations or voluntary participations with cost share on, you know, habitat restoration or whatnot. I mean, these ranch managers, it's unbelievable all that they... Well, we like to say unreasonable. Yeah. It's an unreasonable list of things. So how do you, that, that uh, conundrum of more opportunity than ever, but more challenge than ever, how do you, uh, how would you describe that for our listeners and, and characterize this this environment we're in right. for ranch management. So to, you know, to address that and going back and picking up on yours at the same time, um, regardless of the education or the training or the combination of two that an individual brings to it, to a potential employer, <clears throat> it all comes to naught without their ability. They have to have personal comportment and they have to know communication. And all of the sages in the industry will tell you that same thing. They may have different words for it, you know, you just call it behavior, call it whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is, you, in many cases, particularly in, in the new market, mm -hmm. you have <clears throat> highly accomplished and often extremely sophisticated individuals who, who have been very successful at something else in life. Okay. Right. Now, they know they got a steep curve in front of them. They don't need to be reminded of that. So they're coming in ready to learn something else, hopefully, and do well at it. But don't tell them that they're gonna succeed with somebody who comes in and tries to tell them what to do without that level of professional communication that's gonna bridge the gap. I will say that I have seen, it's encouraging, I, ha I think I've seen more and more outside owners actually have some humility. You know, it seems, it seems like 20 years ago, it was more, you know, boy, people would show, people would buy the ranch. And again, I think you described this, you know, they're hard driving personalities. They've been extremely successful in their world. And a lot of times, especially some of these men, you know, they're successful by kind of bulldozing. 
and then they come to Montana to buy the ranch and they continue that model or that mode. But I, you know, you do see some that um, are actually pretty humble and they know they don't know, you know, much and they're, and uh, some of the neater ones, you know, they're actually excited about the prospect and uh, they plug in locally. Uh, they value, uh, you know, local relationships and that, that's pretty neat to see. And it's kind of counter to the narrative, you know, that's been going, gone back for a long, long time, you know, damn Californians or damn this or damn that that are coming in and changing everything. I mean, some of these guys actually come in with, with open eyes and open arms. And, and, you know, I've also noticed they seem to enjoy it the most. They seem to be right. kind of the happiest with, because they're a little bit of a, of a clean slate and they're actually, you know, rather than I'm looking to come and buy my, my, you know, 10,000 acres and fence it off and and be separate from it they're they're actually looking for some kind of a new community mm -hmm. they understand in places like montana something like that's available might not be available from where they're coming from and sometimes you see some pretty neat um mm -hmm. relationships develop out of that but but even for those guys it's a challenge to find the right guy and you know or right right persons to sure. to work for them yeah we have a re recent sale who the seller is going to end up living in the same community right down the road, um, and you know, the comment that I made to the buyer was: first of all, this is rare, so enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, but he's he's already indicated that he's there to be a good neighbor to the new owner. Right. And I said, more importantly than anything else, watch how he listen to how he speaks. Okay, he loves this place, and because he loves it you will be the beneficiary of that because he's only going to be three miles away and he'll be the best neighbor you ever had and and the new new seller truly appreciates and understands uh that advantage so to your point yeah the new <clears throat> the new owner yes yeah i like how you mentioned uh the expectations are unreasonable in that mm -hmm. ad i put out for that manager position in the jackson hole area of course, I, I'm just going to summarize it. You have to be an expert at rangeland sciences. You have to be an expert at animal sciences. Uh, you must know Excel spreadsheet and financial budgets. Um, you must know equipment, uh, pivots, uh, tractors. You must have good communication skills. And someone wrote me and they said, Good luck finding that. Why well, you left out marriage counseling. Yeah, they, they said, <laughs> must know they what a go, good scotch is, yeah. must. Uh, <laughs> they, before even set a price, which of course, you know, the price is probably $60,000, you know, they're not gonna, this person who wants it all isn't gonna pay uh, $120,000 for someone who has it all per se, but that person said, good luck on your unicorn <laughs> before even knowing the price of the salary. You could have made that your title looking for a unicorn. You yeah. know, it's, that's interesting that you say it and it's easy to, um, to laugh about it because on a day to day basis it's frustrating, but you know, uh, programs such as uh, King ranch masters program, Montana state, uh, program, they understand the challenge. Now they're going about it in an institutional fashion, right? Which has its advantages and its limitations, but they're making the investment to identify the people who can become unicorns. And I give them credit for that. They're only looking for the top 2%. Well, here's a neat story. There was a large ranch in Montana years ago, outside wealthy hedge fund owners, you know, and they put out a search for a ranch manager. They did a national search. They talked to the King Ranch program directly, I believe. 
And at the end of the day, they hired a local kid um, in their neighborhood. And I, I don't know what this kid's uh, training was, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of schooling, whatever, but they hired a, they hired a local. And best I know, it worked out quite well. But I remember thinking at the time that that was a genius move because they were outsiders through and through. And I think that was a wise choice. And I, I think they invested in this guy and brought him along. Yeah. And I've spent some time with him and he, he seemed incredibly competent and they needed that. Yeah. If they, you know, I just think it would have been tough. Uh, any outside management would have just contributed to their outsidedness. And that would have been a tough, yeah. tough wall for them. So I thought that was pretty... You know, genius. this is not a plug, but, you know, that's one of the reasons why having, uh, you know, somebody to help you in that search process is so important because right. you need a three-pronged approach yeah. to get perspective, right? You, you can't get perspective without, um, you know, looking at it from different angles and trying to be objective. Every situation is different. You may want to have a local, but that person may not exist in, on a certain range. Right, right. And um, local is, is no recommendation in of itself because sure. those relationships, you know, are real. And so you're coming in trying, trying to be a new member of the community and you've got uh, an existing member of the community who could advocate for you or they might not. You know, right. and so you have to work through all of these dynamics and say, okay, you could inherit some baggage, some right. local baggage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do we have to work with in this case, and, and yeah. go from there? It does so. seem just like a real dynamic uh, scenario. There's no cut and dry. No. You know, so early in my career, 20 years ago, involved with um, new owners and helping find management. At that time, one thing I noticed was. Uh, helping find management, the guy you could barely get two words out of, but born and raised in ranch, uh, knew could do what these people needed in terms of their management. But the new owner set, the fast talking guy, who you could tell was just a nightmare, that's who they gravitated towards. Yeah. Um, because they spoke the same language and had the same rapport. And you know we would roll our eyes like, ugh, you know. We know the guy that's, that'll do this job for you. He's the quiet guy yeah. that just wants to work. Um, so that was that was 20 years ago. I think this again has has Hasn't gotten changed. more complex. So it's still still a similar oh, dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. You know because it, it it can be personality driven, which is fine. There needs to be good chemistry, uh, but you want to make sure that, that the chemistry and the fundamentals are matched up. You know mm -hmm. that they both get equal billing. Um, a lot of times what you're looking for, well, a couple on, on the extroverts, we'll, we'll stay on the extroverts for just a second. You got the gregarious um, master hunting guide type, mm -hmm. you know, storyteller, the big hat. We have a lot of brokers like that in Montana. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'm talking about uh, ranch managers, you know, too. Oh, I call them either, one either the same. way. <laughs> okay. The brokers think they're ranch managers <laughs> and they are the, the flashy hunting guides. Yep, with the, uh, right. the uh, typical Stetson uh, cattleman's hat. Yeah. I used to work in a meat cutting shop and take in elk and it was the louder the outfitter, the shittier the cleaning job on the elk. <laughs> it was a pretty direct relationship. Yeah. But go on, Dan. I, I'm, I'm into this. Keep going because this is well, this, this is part of why I got into brokerage is, is I thought there was so much flash, so much uh, flashy bait out there and not, an act, uh, not enough actual substance. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in the business, I see it is not a meritocracy. Right. It is absolutely sales. The good branch brokers out there, 
they could be selling Ferraris in uh, Los Angeles as well as they'd be selling ranches. Uh, they're, they're just, they are a trade that's all gab and sales tactics um, and not enough meritocracy for actual ranching operations, land management, community relations. Uh, but go on with this because this Well, I would say, like anything else, it's, it's how you present yourself and you will attract the kind of client that you want, that you, that you need. Um, there will always be buyers who want the Ferrari. You know, that's part of the schema for which they are buying a ranch. You know, they want that. Um, but what I'm referring to in terms of, of being professional as a ranch manager is um, one of my favorite expressions is you know, the best manager will be the guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. And that cannot be stressed enough. Hmm. Okay? Your client, your owner, is the guy. He's Hefa. And there will only be one boss. And the manager who doesn't get that, who will struggle his entire career. So that's, if, if you were going to put it down in, into one uh, nutshell, that is professionalism. The ability to intuit all the dynamics of that relationship, everything that that owner has that you do not have, and everything that you have that he needs, and to have a free exchange of that partnership uh, with no judgment, and uh, no demeaning one person, it serves nobody to, for one person to look down on the other. And as long as both people understand that, it's a wonderful thing. So do you think there's an emerging industry <clears throat> around ranch management? I mean, do you think with all these outside ownerships and we all kind of agree that's the way this is going and it's going to continue to go, mm -hmm. do you think there's going to be, it's going to be common to, uh, go get a drink downtown and, and next to you on the bar stool is going to be a, a ranch manager and that's going to be a, a recognizable profession? Well, I, th I think in, in many cases already is. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that uh, you, don't, you don't meet and see these individuals. Or, you know, they live in remote places. They, they right. don't have a lot of exposure. But, and they work real hard. They don't have a lot of time off. But they are going to get exposure as the profile of their owner, their, their employer, it rises as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's, since you brought up going to town, we'll just touch on this real quick. One of the things that um, must be avoided in professionalism uh, is the tendency for individuals to become corrupted in, in the ranch management profession because it's a real thing. And owners need to know this. Um, if you're aware of something, you can guard against it, and it never becomes an issue. But uh, individuals who want to be ranch managers also need to be aware of it because you don't want to put yourselves in situations that are beyond your reach. So you think about the environment that a young ranch manager lives in. It's remote. It's often highly yield. In other words, you might have a lot of assets at your disposal. It comes with a certain profile in your small community, right? So without daily um, supervision of that individual, who, by the way, he was hired to be a supervisor, one doesn't necessarily assume that he needs supervision, but he might. So you, you put them in this situation, they lose focus, and then they become corrupted. And pretty soon, you know, 
who the question comes up, little things like, well, who's buying the dog food and who owns the dog? Hmm. Right? Right. Who owns okay. the truck? Who owns, who owns the truck? Hmm. Right. Is this, was this really a business trip to town or, hmm. you know, right. now that might seem really, you know, insignificant, but that's the way it starts. And, and that's the way uh, a young person gets off track and they they forgot that they're here in a professional capacity. And this is what we want for our owners. We want to be able to assure them that these people are on a good, strong development track and that they're going to arrive at the same place. Yeah, you remind me that these jobs, you know, they're not like other jobs. The, the delineation between personal and professional is pretty blurred. You live on the ranch, you eat the beef, mm -hmm. you drive the company truck, you like your, you know, that ranch is, it's just not like normal uh, other jobs where you're nine to five and you check out and those lines are delineated. You know, when you're off, you're off. Like right. with ran in ranching, potentially any hour of the day, you got to take care of something, you know? So it's just a different, it's a whole different work right. relationship. This, <clears throat> this idea of corruption, it sounds to me like it could be interchanged with entitlement, that they're becoming entitled to the resources of the ranch. Absolutely. Um, Rachel Frost, who we had on for Montana State University's ranch management program, uh, Dan Scott's School of yes. Ranch Management in Bozeman, she mentioned that a lot of uh, candidates <clears throat> who wanted to enter this new pilot program, get this degree, viewed it going in as, I get to cowboy on someone else's dime. <laughs> is that is that the corruption? The the most successful, I won't even say professional, really the most successful men and women who are providing these ranch management services that I have met may or may not have been cowboys at some point, but eventually they will say, I'm about as far from a cowboy as you can imagine. You're talking about the owner, you're talking about... I'm, the, no, I'm talking about the manager. Oh, the manager. Huh. Be, because they have arrived, they, they have... They have a, addressed and met all of these different challenges. We talk about you know the sheer number of things you're responsible for. Right. They become consumed with providing that level of service. And uh, you know my my friend Mike Kelly in Texas, was famous for telling me routinely, nobody ever made any money driving a tractor. Well, nobody ever made any money riding a horse either, unless you're a professional horseman. But um, very soon they understand that this is a management scenario and then unless you apply leverage in this job on behalf of your your employer you will not be a success and your employer will not be happy you know I'm wondering if this profession <clears throat> will evolve in terms of perception from you know the reputation of that you are a cowboy or a, or a ranch hand which depending on circles, you know, have certain levels of respect and awe, like, well, that's pretty cool. You're a, you're a competent cow hand or whatever. Or maybe you work for a prominent ranch. Like I was going to make a joke about, are we going to know when Yellowstone hands come to town and they're, they're the ones not to mess with? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that you are a complex resource manager, you know, and that the, the complex management aspect. And so I guess basically what I'm talking about is, you know, from from hayseed ranch hand cowpoke to sophisticated asset and you know these ranches as we well know and talk about all the time in this podcast you know transition from i mean it's always of course been a valued asset class but 
the actual value of that asset class has grown exponentially. Um, and it's going to, is it going to be akin to, you know, Wall Street uh, financial workers have a certain uh, reputation and a certain uh, level of respect, basically being at the high end of uh, expertise and, and adding value and that kind of stuff is land in the West. If you're involved in managing that asset, are you going to be akin to a financial uh, manager, you know, in terms of... Well, it's interesting that you should bring that up because you've got all very, some very sophisticated uh, financial managers that rise, you know, to the apex of their, of their careers. And many of them started on a trading floor. So I think that's a pretty good analogy. So the next show we talk about so, uh, the horse whispers and the Yellowstone. The, the next show in 10, 20 years, they're all going to be pencil pushers. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but, but you know, maybe uh, let's call it the Renaissance guy. You know, maybe it's right. they've they've mastered it and, and they understand. Well, let's in terms of Renaissance, let's talk about this thing of tradition for a second. If we can equate cowboying with tradition, let's just use that for a second. You know, I, I don't think we can or should get away from tradition. And I'm talking about the traditional ways. Mm-hmm. You know, han- handling livestock, um, for that matter, handling electricity. You know, whatever is required on the ranch, correct? Right. Quality um, work. Quality work. And there's a couple of things. Number one, the new generation of ranch owner, whether he says it or not, wants to learn the tradition. That's why they're coming west. Okay? That's part of what they're buying that's into. What, part of we can talk state. about Yellowstone later, but culture. that's part of what, that's what Yellowstone's all about. Right. Is you're selling the steak, the sizzle, and they want the steak. They want the whole meal deal. And right. so don't discount tradition and traditional um, skills of cowboying and ranching because when they go away, we will have lost our history, and we know where that ends up. Right. The second thing is, in terms of um, the daily life of a, of a good ranch manager is I personally would, I loathe to ask anybody to do something that I have not done myself and will not readily do myself. Mm. If you cannot maintain yourself on that white line, mm. it's just a matter of time before, again, you lose your way and you lose respect for the people that work for you. So, right. so having those skills, uh, foundation from ranch management, we, we have developed a, a, um, a curriculum, and, which is a result of over 100 um, interviews with competent, productive ranch managers over the last four or five years. And it starts with fence building. Hmm. It does. Right. And it ends up with testifying before the state legislature on agri- agricultural issues. Hmm. That is the spectrum, gentlemen. I mean, it just like you said earlier, it right. can't be overstated. Right. But again, if, if, if your owner family is coming to the ranch in two weeks and you just lost an employee and the farrier <laughs> has a kidney stone, <laughs> you might have to shoe your own horses. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Just leave it at that. Well, that's a good spot to kind of wrap up this session. Uh, our first recording for season three, 2022. Dan Leahy. Dan, uh, where can people find you, reach you? Well, uh, currently, just email me directly at ranchresource at gmail.com. And you're on LinkedIn? I am. Yep. 
Um, any other website, social media presence we should be aware of? Too busy to do that. Ah, God bless you. It's the bane of my existence. Um, well, before we wrap it up, actually, you've got to have some burning desire deep down in your gut to get off your chest. You drove all the way from Oregon. Uh, let's let's get some extreme vulnerability. What? what uh, Lay your soul bare. What is what is going to make this uh, episode go viral? Yeah, let your soul bare. Well, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about both the manager and the owner, and I think I'd like to end on, on the topic of the owner and uh, really give as much credit as possible to their motivations. Um, you know, I've come to respect a great deal the uh, variety, the, the breadth and, and depth of the types of individuals that come west. Um, they all have their own reasons, but they're all pursuing something very similar. So it's very much a funnel, and that funnel ends up here. And it's incumbent upon us as a service providers here in the West to do justice by that. Um, we talk about valuation for just a second. Mm -hmm. So there's this scenario where you try to get as much economic, you know, uh, say, say return on investment. Uh, scenario as justification for, for the purchase and but inevitably with prices being the way they are unhinged as you say uncoupled uncoupled uh, maybe that, you makes say us, that, that makes us unhinged yeah. Yeah. Uh, uncoupled uh, yeah the, the decoupling between um, price of land and the income potential right of that land right so increasingly there there's a, a um, subjective component that gets brought into this valuation process. Yes. And what what I am my concern for owners is this. They deserve the peace of mind, the confidence of knowing that if they buy this ranch that in 5 years or 10 years or 15 years or when they hand it to a family member that they haven't turned it on its head completely. That they haven't somehow compromised the value. Hmm. either in terms of the land or or the improvements and so or the community around it well I, I think that's another conversation <laughs> <laughs> so so again my, my concern is for the owners and um, I think that if they will avail themselves of the service providers that are here in the West that do know the areas that they're looking at um, that they can get help to, to walk that and have the confidence that, they, that they, they should have in a purchase of that size. Well, I'm glad you drove all the way from Bend, Oregon. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate yeah, thanks, Dan. This has been great. Very I, I timely project. anyone to reach out to you. Um, you. You gave email, but how about a phone number? Uh, sure, 503-704-9096. And then also we are on YouTube. Andy and I are on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook page, but we can also get anyone in touch with Dan who's interested if they need, and this is great. Welcome to season three. We're excited about it. We're going to make some changes, and uh, glad to have a fresh start, a good start with Dan Leahy. Thanks, guys. Professional ranch manager. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. As a real estate and finance professional, we know that you want to be a top producer and high performer. In order to do that, 
you need to grow your portfolio, grow your influence. The problem is rural real estate is a private and closed off network that is very difficult to enter and gain acceptance within. It's a nuanced segment that requires years of experience. This may make you feel frustrated or even scared given the high costs of getting established. We get it. But in the age of information, we believe you already have inexpensive access to knowledge and resources that would improve your competency. We understand that you feel as though you don't have time for continuing education or that you'll worry that you're wasting your time on redundant and obsolete information. For this reason, we feature only the best accredited and established rural real estate professionals who analyze, transact, and manage billions of dollars annually. No newbies here. Your goal is to efficiently improve your business and be viewed as a trusted advisor. So here's how we can do that together. One, starting right now, make a simple commitment to self-improvement. Two, be sure to make it easy, convenient, and attainable. Rigidity rarely works in the long run for transformation. Three, make your structure of self-improvement entertaining and engaging. If it's fun and intriguing, you'll have a better shot at making it last. With that in mind, click subscribe on your streaming platform so you know when the latest episode has dropped. Then go to ranchinvestor.com slash podcast and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. We also have a private Facebook group simply called Ranch Investor. And this is where we can best interact with you by answering your questions and taking your recommendations. Most exciting though, is being able to follow us on YouTube by clicking the subscribe button. In the meantime, keep a notepad and pen handy. You'll undoubtedly be thinking of clients and peers in mind as you listen. Go ahead and text or email them a link to this episode for your constant contact, CRM, and your goals of being a center of influence, the expert in your field. Stick with it, and soon you'll stop waiting for the phone to ring with new business be the source of knowledge and the maven that other professionals are excited to refer.